All right. Hello, friends. Today is June 16th. Uh, welcome to lesson number 28, where Ruth and I are going to be covering the topic of relationships, which is, I think, a term everyone's heard of. But uh, I know from myself, I never really took the time to really unpack what what is a relationship? How does it affect health? And there's a lot of nuance there. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for making a commitment to taking responsibility for your health. Our objective today is to sort of expand perspective on the topic of relationship in terms of how broadly that applies, how deeply we can think of our relationships. Um, and for Ruth and I to just sort of share our understanding of how we think of relationships, what we've learned over time, and kind of share some stories. Um, and so this by no means is us saying we understand completely what relationships are, but more so just to stimulate a conversation that um, hopefully gives a bit of, stimulates a bit of curiosity for people to undergo a deeper inquiry into, you know, what is relationship? How do I relate to that word? Uh, and maybe examining our individual relationships. So if you have questions about the lesson, as always, feel free to message us on Slack or to create a community discussion around the topic. And uh, yeah, let's dig in and maybe start by just introducing the topic. So Ruth, when someone says relationships, what, um, what comes to mind? Well, initially, the way I used to think relationships come to mind are like all the, you know, like, how do I interact with the people in my life? But more recently, <laughs> since going through the Foot Nerd program, I look at everything through the said principle, like our first principle of specific adaptation to impose demands. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I, I'm a relationship. I, I always thought I was like really a relationship kind of person. But thinking on this now, um, and lot, lots of life experiences, my, my definition when we were taking the notes is, is this. Um, feedback loops based on inputs and outputs between humans in the world around us, you know, mm. or the beings in the world around us, which was like pretty scientific mm. in, in a certain way. But I think it's been so helpful for me personally to look at it that way, that if we look at relationships based on our first principles, then you could see every human, every being, every object that you interact with as inputs and outputs. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot to chew on there. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, like, I've always used the word relationship in my um vocabulary and and usually that brings to mind like um the relationship i have with people in my family or uh, a relationship with a partner like an intimate relationship but i've sort of started to take um a much broader sort of use of the word relationship right because because we i've said this before right we have a relationship with technology with our phones we have a relationship with food with drugs like we so really relationship means anything that we're um, sort of connected with anything we engage with. Um, and that makes it a much broader topic to unpack. And I think the, the, um, I think relationships is sort of like a probably best put as a subtopic of community. Right? right. And even in the community lesson, we talked about how, okay, if we have like these rings of proximity in terms of our community, we have, um, our own community, which is ourselves, right? Like all the cells in our body, all the organisms that inhabit this, body that we live in um 
And I think fundamentally health really is, um, and, and even the foot nerd experience, it's all about building a better relationship with ourself, right? Which is really kind of what health is, right? Like the relationship we have with our body, with our minds, um, this whole idea that health is really our own intimate relationship, spiritually, physically, and mentally with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And in order to have better relationships with the world, with other things in the world, we need to start with a better relationship with ourselves and, and, and sort of examine like, what does that even mean? And we're not claiming yeah. to have the answers, but hopefully um, we can help stimulate better questions so that people can seek their own answers. Um, Nick, so like when you were saying better relationship with ourselves, um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for like governing the cells in our body, right? So like if we think in the community lesson, we talked about our bodies being collections of cells in neighborhoods, if you will, that make up tissues and organs, et cetera. So it almost sounded like you were saying like relationship with ourselves. (laughs) And I love, no, but I love that though, because it's not esoteric really. It's like, well, we, when you talk about creating a relationship of health with yourself, um, you are taking inputs, you know, like we are, we are like feeling devices. So we are computing devices, like the most sophisticated computers. And so we're designed to receive inputs. And then our cellular, our actual little cells, our little mini me's in the, you know, respond to that with output. And I love Esther, uh, Esther Perel, because she talks about, I'm just going to, can I just start with this one quote to get us, to get us off? Because she says, so like, when we talk about like relationships to the self, we usually think about our relationship to the world around us, like we have to know ourselves or like in the foot nerd program, we talk about the science of like self-awareness, right? Create, that's how we navigate our health. We have to become like radically self-aware and self-regulatory in a certain way. But I love how she talks about this. It kind of stimulated some thought experiments because she talks about how we think that we need to love ourselves first or have a good relationship with the self first before we can go into relationship, have healthy relationships with other people and the world around us. But she takes the approach that the only way that we know ourselves or from our perspective as foot nerds, become self-aware is through interactions with others. So she says, the way I speak is influenced by the way you listen. Mm. The way I see myself is influenced by the way you see me. We are not just like one thing. We're not one person. We may have like a core set of characteristics, she says, but we are shaped by the relationships in which we are. We make the relationship and the relationship makes us. And so I think that is good evidence about like the sense principle. Like you can only, I I, I like to think about like relationships as the way that we could look at food. Like you could subsist on Doritos and French fries for a period of time, but that wouldn't make for a healthy life in the long run. You wouldn't feel good. And I think the same is true for relationships, right? So like you could subsist on the, the comforts of modern conveniences, being isolated with your phone, your computer, your Netflix, and your personalized playlist where you don't have to tolerate anything or anyone outside of your own 
interests and your own comfort and convenience. But over the long haul, that makes for a very un unhealthy or unsatisfying one-dimensional lifestyle that isn't going to really feed you in the long run. So that we need a diverse amount of relational nutrients mm. in the same way that you, in order to live a healthy life, in the same way that we need a super diverse variety of foods in order to create good, strong cells. So that's my, that was what I was thinking about in relationship to like to, to our cells. I like that. It almost seems like technology, um, our, our kind of quest to always advance technology has actually left us um, what we feel is like super, we're hyper-connected, right? But I think the word mm -hmm. connected is is not a human connection. It's a technological connection, which I think needs to be parsed. And it's almost like technology allowing us to be hyper-connected to everything in the world at all times has left us relationally undernourished. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's almost like me using my phone to have a relationship with you by texting you tricks me into thinking we're connecting. But really, the only thing I have a relationship where there, the only thing I have a relationship with there is my phone. Yeah, and my phone has a relationship to you. But that's not a direct, you know, it's like this, this weird thing where we're more we're more hyper connected than ever. But we feel more alone than ever. Yeah. And so what res what is the what is the mechanism there? And I think it's just poverty of true human relationships with other people, with um, the natural world, right? Like I, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you, if you expand relationship beyond the human to human interface, um, you know, we have a relationship with nature. Um, you know, like when I go to forest one and I fill all the bird feeders, I'm sort of nourishing my relationship with the birds around there. Right. And when I observe them, I'm deepening my relationship with the birds. And, you know, I think it really is relationships boil down to how much energy are you putting into these things? Right. It's almost like sending you a text message is like a super low energy excuse to think that I'm connecting with you. When in reality, it's kind of like junk food, right? You eat a Big Mac and you trick your body into thinking you're getting some stuff, but you're really not getting any of the true substance that actually nourishes your body. And so we end yeah. up being overfed and undernourished. And I think with, technology we end up being hyper digitally connected but undernourished in our actual relational nutrients that we need to, to live like pleasant healthy human lives yeah and you can and then the, i think like what it, about the idea of technology and tricking ourselves right because it's the convenience of the comfort so we get tricked because we don't get the we so it reminds me of, of like cold exposure or heat exposure, right? Like you don't, you don't get faced with your limitations. So there's something about um, cultivating curiosity, which I was like, well, when we're like super hyper isolated with the comforts and the convenience of, of all the things that we have innovatively like created for ourselves, door to everybody gets their individualized food. Everybody gets, everybody gets everything that they individually need. So that you're never, we're never really in exposed to discomforts that we have to sit through in order to be faced with our limitations. So that like, you don't get like cold exposure in relationships, right? Like you don't have those awkward moments of meeting somebody 
in the library that you find attractive and then having to negotiate the actual feelings in our body in order mm. to overcome certain fears in order to like take a risk. So like I was thinking about risk tolerance and um, um, cultivating curiosity and like facing our limitations, like without going purposefully putting ourselves into situations where we can be around, I would even argue public spaces where there's lots of variety of people that are like non-commodified spaces like parks or museums or something where where it's like not a space where all you're there to do is consume and buy things or you know where you can maybe a music festival or something where like you're around such a diversity of humans that you are exposed to like what or or maybe in a new neighborhood where people aren't speaking you maybe go to the Italian neighborhood where they don't speak English in that and you get to see who you are in, you know, like Esther Perel talks about, we're not just one thing. I am to my babe, I am to, I am somebody different to my nephews who are like little baby blobs of human flesh that are helpless and I hold them. I'm somebody different to them than I am to my nine-year-old nephew, or I'm somebody different in relationship to the 80-year-old neighbor who sees me as a child or my parents who see me as a child. Whereas my partner sees me as some, but something fantastically sexy, or you know, like whatever, whatever right. it is, like we're so, but, but we don't get that exposure. So like, you're talking about like t- one person, one text, you know, like you don't get those inputs of like how you're faced with certain limitations that stimulate natural curiosity. So as an example, I told you about the Tampa bladers where Matthew and I were out rollerblading in the public place and we were in on a street we're middle-aged people and we're blading around and some people saw us as like real inspirations like oh a guy rode by on a bike and he's like i gotta get me a pair of those so we were somebody different to him some kind of like cool cool ass rollerbladers and then the young person's group who were the tampa bladers who were like probably teenagers into their early 20s come zooming in asking us if we're part of the Tampa bladers and we didn't understand what that was, but they were like so light on their feet and buzzing all around. I didn't really understand the lingo that they were using and stuff, but they invited us to come along. And then we were somebody different in that space of public appearance to that group of people. So like the inputs, like we're, it's just so rich, the more inputs that we can give ourselves relationally, I guess. And then the text yeah. and the computers don't do anything to show us our limitations. They do very small amounts to show us like our true limitations. And then only when, I think only when we're faced with our true limitations of discomfort, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or I can't believe I said that, or, or oh my God, I said that, you know, yeah. or like, wow, I responded fan- fantastically to that. Or like going with those Tampa bladers, I stretched my comfort zone because I went down the hill faster than I would have really been comfortable doing, but I did it. And then I increased my risk tolerance. And so you keep expanding, expanding, expanding by the inputs of discomfort. And then you become more naturally curious, you know, because curiosity is a practice that has to be cultivated by putting yourself in maybe uncomfortable situations. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. I really like the point you made about how we are different people based on different relational contexts, despite us feeling like we're the same person, right? Like I'm, 
you know, you're Ruth, but also you're like Ruth one with someone, you're Ruth two with someone else. And so, you know, I think part of relationship is the ability to adapt to each unique relationship. Um, and the more relationships you have, the more adaptable you become, because the more you have to stretch your ability to actually match and mirror that interaction or that person or that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're talking there, I kind of, you know, on, the, on, on that tangent of technology, this idea that uh, relationships that were essential for uh, like ancestrally have now sort of become optional. And just because the option is there um, and, and we can like, for example, I'll give you a contextual example. We used to have to have a relationship with food. We used to have to go out and like hunt food or gather food or grow food. Um, but now all we have to do, it's like all those diverse relationships that we would have had with people in our tribe that we hunted with. Um, there's like a contextual hunting pack relationship there. The relationship we would have had to had had to have had with the environment to know what is safe to eat, what is not, when can we grow certain things, when do certain things grow. Huge pool of relationships that we ancestrally had to have. Now the only relationship we need to have is with our grocery store. And so we've we've eliminated we we've um concentrated all those former food relationships which were broad and diverse and probably that taught us many things in context of each of those relationships. We've now condensed it and concentrated it down through technology and through modern civilization to a single superficial uh, low bandwidth relationship with a store that we go and get everything we need without any understanding of how those things came to be there. So and I think to take a cost that a step. That. And what about the, taking that a step further where like, you know, I live in a condo complex and people have their they don't even go to the grocery store. They have their groceries delivered. There you go. Especially older people, right? Like that, So you've eliminated are, those relationships. You no yeah, longer have so, those. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So even that, like we're becoming, I mean, I can't tell you how many, num- how many doors I've opened for people delivering somebody's groceries, you know, that then get left at the door and they just knock and go. Um, so it's almost like yeah. that's a big source of, you know, like as like a really zoomed out mental model, I kind of think of health as being healthy means being connected to this um, distributed health network, which is life, right? Nature, community. That is like, you know, the more connections you have, the richer your health will be. And the less connections you have, the more disconnected you are, the less health you have. Yeah. So it almost seems like relationship is literally underlies everything related to health because the more disconnected we are, the less health we have. And health comes through relation. Health comes from a diversity um, and a richness of relationships, right? Like diversity, meaning many relationships and richness, meaning the depth of the relationships we have with each of those points. I'm, I'm not even looking at my notes because I realize the notes are useless and, no, and this is actually not. a better There's, conversation. But the, but Nikki pop the, I don't know if we talked about this in the community lesson about Lisa Rankin wrote a book called mind over medicine. Did we talk about that longitudinal study that they did? No, with I this, don't think so. A, a, I'm probably going to get some of this wrong, but just take it as the big picture paraphrase, which is that there was a a longitudinal study done with like first generation Italian immigrants that moved to the East Coast as like a large community. So the findings of the longitudinal study was that the community relationships and the familial relationships were a bigger risk factor 
in health than like the biggest risk factors like smoking, heart disease, obesity, um, whatever the other risk factors are. And what, what they did was they followed this community, I think over like a 20 year period since they moved. And, and what happened was because they all came as like a community to find a better, more, more modern, convenient, wealthier life. They, the researchers, I think, I don't exactly know how they did this, but they, they followed the community, which were like wine, swilling, cheese, eating, pasta, eating, obese, um, smoked, drank, like did all the things that you would think that would make them sick. But the older generations were only dying of natural causes. And they boiled the study down to um, that these, this community were intergenerationally dependent and interdependent, like the, all the kids, all the babies, were growing up to with the teenagers, with the aunts and the uncles, were with extended family, were with their neighbors, the doors were open, the churches were open, the family grocery stores, like they were in that neighborhood and they were all overlapping into the space of public appearances and their relationships with each other. So that what they followed over this period is that only when the younger generations went to college left the home, started to move into like nuclear families where the where they weren't in those multi-generational communal varietal relationship, nutrients weren't there. Only then did they start developing diseases of affluence. Hmm. And that up until that point. So that the the, the, the the conclusion of that particular story or of that particular study slash story is that how important those relationships are and that they are as as important as those other risk factors. And I think that's probably true from my own personal experience. I've gone through um, periods in my life where I feel so much better as a lone wolf. I've always kind of described myself a little bit as, you know, I've been estranged from my family and it's so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, you know me personally and the things that I've done to try to cultivate like these relationships where it's like, it's not easy. And it's a lot of work. So like for all, and another thing that Lissa Rankin did in her study, she's a, a, a medical doctor in Palo Alto, Palo Alto, I think. So she was talking about how she moved her practice to like the most prestigious, rich place where all of her patients were like, super healthy. They had access to every possible green drink, all the food, all the um, great fitness tools, like everything that they could possibly need and want to be healthy in the way of like tools were at their disposal because of how wealthy the community was. Mm -hmm. And she reported that her patient group were the sickest of any she had seen in in anywhere she had ever practiced. And she couldn't understand why. And so she changed her medical intake form. Instead of asking the typical general medical history questions, she started asking things like, well, why do you think that you're, why do you think you're, you feel so bad? Or why do you think you're dealing with this illness? And, and she said she was surprised at the kind of answers that she was getting. Like she thought she would 
get answers like, well, I think I'm low in vitamin D or, you know, she thought there would be like some, they would be able to give her some insights into their own health, but they were saying things like, well, I really have been needing to leave my, this marriage and I haven't been able to do it. Or I have a book that I've been writing, wanting to write for 20 years and I can't bring myself to do it. So it it started to become more about lifestyle and relationship and community issues more so than like these other factors, like these medical factors. And I thought that was really interesting. And what I wanted to say from personal experience is that I kind of fall into that category. Like over the last 20 years, my six pillar health is stellar. You know, I, I actually consider myself to be a really good community member, but the truth is, is that I've done all that in isolation and not really exposing myself to a lot of risk because it's really uncomfortable and it makes me feel sometimes like I don't like people very much, but I realize that my risk tolerance is low. You know, Mark Manson talks about one of the biggest um, characteristics or, or practice that you can have is risk tolerance. And that is exposing yourself purposefully to things that make you uncomfortable in order to deal with your, the shitty parts of your personality. And so like, to me, I was like, well, all my relationships are unhealthy. That's why I'm leaving all you MFers. (laughs) And then I was like, wait a second, the common denominator here is me. Like, I don't, I don't know how to actually negotiate these relationships. So more recently, I have like purposefully put myself into positions and with family members where I am having to practice and it's better. And I go to places that make me uncomfortable and I try and I'm learning so much about myself and I feel healthier now. Like all the other pillars start to come together when my, my relationships are more diverse. And when I have to practice sitting through discomfort or learning somebody's communication style, we all speak, you know, we're all speaking maybe a similar language, but we're not really communicating very well because we don't really know what makes the other, we don't listen sometimes to know what makes the other person tick or communicate well, or we're not playing, you know, fair or communicating fairly. So. Yeah. It's almost like being in relationship is like a game, right? Each relationship is its own mini game that you have with someone or something. And the less you play that game, the, the more out of practice you get. And the less likely you want to engage in that because you're like, oh, I'm so out of practice. Like, I just can't. It's, it's too intimidating or it's too hard or it's just not something I want to do. And but at some point you have to start practicing again. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to find someone to practice with who's willing to practice. And and I think the biggest thing with the relationships is like when it comes to human relationships, they are a lot of work because you're dealing with someone you're dealing with someone else who may or may not know themselves very well. Um, and you might may or may not know yourself very well. And then you're trying to mesh these two people, these two humans, which are highly complex organisms and have their own history and their own experience and trying to mesh them together in a productive way where most people, both people get value and don't feel worse after the interaction. So <laughs> it's like that, that's a lot of energy and it's almost like you have to pick and choose where you want to put the energy, right? And so even to people listening to this, like pause this for a sec and as a, as kind of a couple little experiments, write down, what does the word relationship mean to you? Like what comes to mind? How do you define relationship? And then also like, what are the relationships you value most? And does that align with where you spend your energy? 
right? Like if you say my relationship to my kids matters most, but you spend very little time and energy on that relationship, maybe there's a mismatch there, a misalignment that might be contributing to a sense of uneasiness or un, you know, unhappiness maybe. And it's not until we really like, you know, everything starts with awareness and the awareness part can be really uncomfortable because what you're not aware of, um, if you're not aware of something, then there, it takes energy to become aware of something you, you aren't aware of. Right. Um, and so I think we only become aware of these things in relationship to others, yep. right? Like how else, you know, blind spots are blind spots for a reason because we don't know we have them. And the only way you figure those out is in relation to other people who maybe bring out those blind spots or inform us of our blind spots, which is uncomfortable, right? Like it's not, it's never fun to be told uh, about one of our blind spots. And oftentimes we don't fully acknowledge that they exist. We kind of, you know, I know I've been guilty of this. I, you kind of like blame, you say, oh, that, that's just that person thinking something, but it's not true. Um, mm -hmm. And so really we, I like what you said there, and it's kind of screwing up my entire mental model of relationship because we only, we only develop a better relationship with ourselves through others, mm -hmm. through other things and mostly other people. Um, yeah, very interesting. It's like health is that's all about relationships. Yeah, it, it is. And I, and I would also say that, you know, like when we talk about blind spots, I'm finding now in my life that it's easier to deal with, to, it's easier to see your blind spots spontaneously when you put yourself in diverse situations, because then that's what I mean by stimulates natural curiosity. Like, I think I, I always think, oh, I'm a pretty good communicator. I can talk to anybody. But when I was with these, this group of young people, I was like, my 50 year old lingo is not gelling. I mean, it wasn't like it was ever a bad thing. You know, it was just like, oh my God, we're so different, but we had rollerblades on, you know, like we all had rollerblades on and we so had that, this. That was the commonality. That was the commonality, but that's also, I, I'm, I'm an advocate for doing things together, right? Like we, we have the privilege of language and language has so much power in it. You know, we've talked a lot about like, about like letting people tell you about your blind spots. You don't need to be told about your blind spot when you put yourself in a group of people who are 20 years younger than you, they are obvious. <laughs> that reality tells you. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's so cool because like, there was a part of me that I was like, get me the F out of here right now. I just want to go home to, I want to go back to my little skate area. And I went back and forth like three times. I was like, Matthew, I don't think I want to go with them. You know, they're going to go fast. And I don't know, they're wearing fishnet stockings. And I don't know, this feels weird. We were like in all of our head, you know, all of our protective gear. And they were like, zoom, zoom, flying over things. <laughs> But they were so sweet, Nick, because they were like bridging the gap. And they're like, you should come with us, you know, come on, come with us. So we were like, okay, we're going. And it was so exhilarating and uncomfortable. And the blind spot for me was like, well, I don't, I didn't, I don't speak very well to 20 year olds, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lame. I say the same shit. And, and this is like, just, this is just what goes on in my head. It's not true. They were sweet. And, but I'm out of practice. Like you were saying, you gotta, you gotta practice being in the game. And as this has been happening with me with like younger people for a while where it's like, Oh, I feel so young. And then you go and you're like, Oh my God, they're like little tiny <laughs> embryos. 
compared to me, you know, or, and they have so much to teach, you know, like, oh, I think I, that's the one thing where I'm having trouble with my own relationships and my family. It's like, we, I'm in my fifties. My parents are in their seventies and they think they're so smart. It's like you, we have so much to learn from people younger than us. You know, Um, we don't know hardly anything. And then we also have things to learn from people who are older than us. And we also have things to teach people. Like we're practicing becoming in my age group, I'm practicing trying to become like a solid reliable person that somebody younger than me could possibly depend on if they need it, you know, for experience or advice or something, but I'm not need, I don't need to go out just giving it, you know, because I'm a relic. (laughs) (laughs) If you say you are, then then you act like one, but no, but I don't think, think, no, but that's what, that's when you're like, Oh, I might, I, it's a little over the top, but it's like, I am shown my, the comparison, like I'm not 20 and this is like, and it's so refreshing to see people fresh on the planet and mm. without unencumbered by certain, um, you know, burdens that we tend to carry with us as we go get older. We just carry our little black bag with us, you know, just stuffing yep. shit in there all the time. Like I'm going <laughs> to carry this with me. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just dish the bag. Um, yeah. One thing that we talked about a couple of days ago that kind of stuck with me was this whole idea that, you know, if you see two people, two humans interacting on the street um, and you eavesdrop and you hear what they're saying or how they're interacting with one another, you can kind of get a sense as to like, is that a good relationship or not a good relationship, right? Like two people, they're smiling, they're talking, they're hugging, whatever. You're like, oh, they have a good relationship. Two people arguing, yelling at each other. One person is just like, you're terrible. How could you do this? You're like, oh, that's a rough relationship. And if we take that and we think about how we talk to ourselves and we pull out the conversations we have with ourselves and put it into like a uh, simulation of two people, right? How many of us would be uh, the person who's just shitting on the other person be like, how the heck could you, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Why did you do it? You're terrible. You're so unhealthy, you know? And it's like, how can we like we know how to identify it with other people, but we fail to identify it in ourselves. And I think it would do us, me included, a lot of benefit to really take time to examine what is the relationship I have with myself? Have I ever even thought of that? Have I ever tuned into my own experience to um, detect the times that I'm being that shitty relationship person? Um, and who, yeah. and, you know, blaming or shaming or holding resentment or all these things. And I mm-hmm. think it really, I don't know, that for me was like a really big one because it made me want to tune in more to the conversations I have with myself and have conversations with other people about the conversations we have with ourselves, which is yeah. risky, right? Like, I, yeah. I like, so I heard the word once, um, someone said intimacy is um, into me see. Intimacy is letting someone oh, else yeah. see inside of you, which is yeah. super scary because some people are scared of even looking inside themselves. And yeah, yeah. just this idea that we think about relationships um, oftentimes as visualizing a relationship between, between two people. But I think spending more time thinking about the relationship we have with ourselves and putting, you know, like not judging the relationship we have with ourselves, but putting a, a magnifying glass on it and being that curious five-year-old that everything is like, ooh, that's interesting right? It's not good or bad. It's just, hmm, that's interesting. And maybe 
helping develop that self self awareness by by being more curious to to really see it from like a non judgmental third person point of view. Um, yeah, yeah. Compassion is a word that comes to mind there, which I'm I'm learning. Like, I mean, I've been honest in these lessons. You know, like when I say things like oh, I'm a relic, like those are the kinds of that's the kind of dialogue I have in mm-hmm. my head with myself almost subconsciously when I'm faced with discomfort of certain things, right? Like being exposed, like I realize how little I expose myself. I, and this is one of the reasons why I really loved teaching in college is that you were constantly coming into um, contact with the world around you in the way of like other professors, older people, you know, different kinds of bureaucratic people and then the young people and everybody was together and if you could stay self-aware that could be a really nourishing environment but since I haven't been in that environment as much and my work has gone largely online um, I only I only I have to purposefully seek out those places of non-commodified public appearance in order to play I mean like it's playful but it also is uncomfortable. And I, and I see, like you've pointed out, even just in this lesson, I've, I've said like three different things to you out loud that go on inside me that are like, well, is that really compassionate? You know, like your cells are listening. Your 70 trillion molecular geniuses that we call cells are taking instructions from us at all times. Like our bodies are designed to receive instructions. And just like you said, well, if you keep telling yourself you're a relic, then you're going to start, your cells are going to be like, she's a relic. Let's, she's a relic. <laughs> Let's pack it in. We're relics. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, these, these, um, oftentimes the most, uh, profound insights I have or, or, or sometimes the realizations of things that are incredibly important for health are trying to make sense of the hardest things to explain and explore. Yeah. Like community is a really hard one, right? We know community, like we see a group of people, oh, that's a community, but like actually exploring what does community even mean? How do I cultivate? Cause in order to cultivate community and improve our community pillar, even to know what the, the word improve means in that context, you have to know like, what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what is, what is, um, uh, you know, at a zoomed out level, what does a poor relationship with the pillar of community look like? What does a good relationship look like? How do I improve my relationship with community? And I think it, you know, like two variables that come to mind when I think of relationship and community, uh, you know, cause I think they're deeply interlinked, um, is the breadth of my relationships. So how many relationships do I have with people, with things, with nature um, and the depth? So if I take, okay, then the quantity of relationships I have, if we are alone, that kind of insinuates that we don't have very many relationships and to increase the number of relationships requires a motivation to go out into the world and build new relationships, right? To go into that public space as jammed with people and be open enough to taking the risk of meeting someone and not being afraid they're going to judge us or not being afraid that something bad's going to happen. So like breadth of relationships equals quantity of different relationships. And then also depth, like, so if you're lonely, maybe you don't have enough relationships or maybe you don't have deep enough relationships with the people you have relationships with. Mm-hmm. Right. And so just, or some I, combination of both. Right. Or so, and it, I, yeah, it's probably some combination of both, but yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, what are, what are areas that, you know, if you want to eat better food, maybe it's not just a matter of like buying organic, maybe it's like, 
Maybe I need to deepen my relationship with food. Maybe I need to grow something that I eat or watch something grow. I have to take care of something um, that I can consume, right? That's like that specific relationship with food. If you zone into the food area of relationships, expand the amount of relationships you have within that context and then deepen some of them where you're taking, you're putting more energy into building better relationships. And I think I've always thought of that. If someone said that, put more energy into building better relationships, I would think, oh yeah, spend more time with my partner or with my family. But I think it, I think it's so much more broadly applicable now that I think this is just coming from this, this conversation. It's like a totally different way of thinking about relationships. Yeah. And you know, um, I, I, I am always advocating for myself for doing the thing that feels the easiest. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a Um, human tendency. Yeah. It's like, we just, you know, where it doesn't take so much effort. And the one thing that always, that it always comes back to, right. Is that like, you could just be around other people on a bus. You know, if we, I mean, like you, you could be on the bus or on a train and you don't even have to, I guess my, my point here is like, take the earbuds out, leave the phone off away, give yourself the luxury. Cause I, I kind of can kind of hear people saying like, well, I'm an introvert and I'm kind of introverted in certain situations too. Like, I don't always want to be like talking to people and being outgoing and like developing new relationships. It's like, like you said, they're hard. I'm out of practice. And really I get pissed a lot, you know, um, because I'm too comfortable in, I'm too comfortable in my righteousness about my own life and my ideas and my belief systems. And that is the truth about so many of us is that we mm. think we got, we think we know shit. Yeah. We're rigid. We're too certain yes. about things. Yes. Oh, and then when something feel- shakes our certainty, we're like, no, they're, they're wrong. They're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but you could just, it could be as easy as just ditching your phone, ditching your earbuds and taking a walk in a public place or sitting on a bench and letting life wash over you, watching children and dogs and people in the park, watching the birds. And then maybe by chance, a brief interaction, a smile. I can't tell you how many people I walk past on the street where I say, hello, they can't hear me because they have those little white earbuds in. Yeah, they're unavailable or, even. So it's like yeah. almost by taking by putting the phone away, by taking the earbuds out, you simply make yourself available to potential relationships. Which not is also saying, yeah. Yeah. And vulnerable, right? It's not yeah. comfortable. But a smile, just making eye contact, that yeah. is a relationship. And I mean I mean, like the conclusion of my whole idea when we were creating this is like, what does this have to do with health? Like really, you know, like, so we talked about relational diversity and relational nutrients, the wider variety, the richer dimensional quality and texture and richness you have in your life. Like you're not subsisting on Doritos and French fries, but also your, that trickles out into the ecosystem around you. We naturally make the world a richer, more healthy place to be just by doing that, just by going, just by being in the place of public appearance together with other humans, you don't even have to do anything. Like life will find us, you know, like I think it's like Franz Kafka talks about, you don't even have, you, you just have to sit like life will unfold, life will unveil itself to you naturally. 
and you, you will have oppor- available if you it. make yourself available and you will have opportunities and you don't it doesn't like you i think you're talking about in your notes like breadth and depth a variety doesn't you know like maybe you have two deep relationships that you're nourishing and then you go to the grocery store instead of buying something online or you go to the or you actually exchange money instead of swiping your card maybe like your hand actually brushes another person's hand what the hell would that be like yeah it's like sometimes i think of it as like an odds game right if i'm in my house not around anyone else the odds of meeting a stranger and having a great interaction are are zero because unless someone's breaking into my house in that case probably not going to be a great relationship but the idea that you know if i'm walking around all day or for a lot of time each day with no headphones um being curious and observant and willing to engage with people, making eye contact, smiling, saying hi, seeking out opportunities to say, like, how's your day? You're, you're literally generating a higher, you're, you're, it's just way more odds of having good relationships blossom out of nowhere. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you have that favorite... happen. You have that happen a lot because you talk to, you have like, you create time and space from what I know about you where you can go on a walk and end up having an hour long conversation with somebody you just met. Right. Yeah. And like, those are some of the best con- Like, so lately I've been just, I went from this thing where it's like, I want to, I want to include the excluded. I want to have conversations with all the homeless people in my neighborhood. Cause I see them all. I want to know their name. I want to know one thing about them. So I went from like just saying hi and then saying hi and saying their name to actually being like, you know, instead of just walking, like there's this guy, Paul, he's got this, awesome dog and he's always on this main strip and i would usually just say hi paul like i got to the point where i knew his name i knew his dog's name kiro and i would say hi to them but the other day i was like i have nowhere to be and i just sat down on the bench beside him and we talked for like an hour he loves to water ski he's like he's like if i ever found some money we should go water skiing together and we were just like we just had a random conversation i talked to him for about an hour and i was like that's the best conversation i may have had in like a month right? Because he had nowhere to be. He wasn't looking at his phone. He didn't have a meeting to go to. I didn't either. We were just curious about each other, each other's lives. And like, who would have thought, right? Like most people ignore him. Some people are nasty. He was just telling me about the different dynamics of the people he sees. He's like, the people who are the nastiest to me have the hardest lives. So I just try and smile at them because they're having a hard time. This is from a guy that doesn't even have a home and he has a problem with alcohol and, you know, like all these things. But the idea of being open and available, of not jamming so many things into our lives that we become unavailable to, you know, like I remember having a conversation with a girl once and she lives around here. She's like, yeah, it's so hard to, you know, dating is really hard. It's hard to spend. It's hard to find people. I'm like, well, how much time do you go out there searching? Well, I search on Tinder. I'm like really think you're going to find the best people on tinder like what what about going for walks and just chatting with random people and it's funny how people say i feel lonely but they at the same time they give themselves no opportunity to actually build relationships and i've definitely been guilty of that in the past as well so i think i think just the openness and the willingness to um engage interact put ourselves in situations where there might be something that happens like spontaneously if you're not open to it, it's not going to happen. If you're walking around with headphones and you're like, oh, I never talked to anyone. It's like, well, you're not even available to speak. No one knows. No one, you're not extending any invites. So no one's inviting you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
And it's just funny how, you know, what can start with seemingly simple things like, how's your day? Like, I love asking people that. How's your day going? Sometimes opens the door to really rich conversations out of nowhere, yeah. right? And yep. if you ask that enough times, it's like if you ask that to one person, maybe they'll just say good. If you ask that to 10 people, maybe one out of 10 of those people will be like, oh, you know, this happened today or I'm doing this tomorrow. It's like you have to give yourself, you have to bring your odds up, right? Yeah. All I try and do these days is like, how do I maximize my odds of being able to expand the amount of relationships I have and deepen the relationships that I already sort of have in place, right? Instead yeah. of super, like it goes from, very few relationships to more relationships, although they might be superficial, and then trying to pick the superficial ones and then going deeper with them. And it's, you know, I learn a lot about myself from those conversations. Like every time I speak to people in the homeless community around here, I learn a lot about myself, not just them, yeah. but yeah. like they'll share their perspective on the world. I'm like, wow, I'm thinking of the world in a much more limiting way. Uh, you know, or about like how I think of money, how I think of work and, and, you know, their, their perspective is so fresh and new that it's like, wow, I got, I got some stuff to work with now. Cause I got to almost integrate this with my former self. Yep. Like this, the Nick before having the conversation with Paul is a totally different Nick than post Paul conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to stagnate because we're not actually being open enough to, to changing ourselves. Right yeah. back to that rigidity thing. If we're real rigid, we don't want to give ourselves any reasons to have to change, which means no. we don't want to interact with anyone that's different or challenges us or thinks differently. So I think just the openness to, be, to being able to change and the willingness to create opportunities to form new relationships or deepen relationships, um, it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun. And it depends how you yeah. look at it, right? But I think fundamentally people just, the crutch I hear a lot of people say is I don't have time. I don't have time to go on walks. Um, I don't have time to just not care what time it is. I, you know, I have meetings, I have this and that. It's like, well, you have no opportunities to build relationships. So yeah, you know, it's hard to complain about being lonely when you're doing everything you can to stay lonely. Yeah. And then like what, you know, like if you don't have time, what, well, what do you spend your, what are you spending your time doing? You're probably working with somebody at some point. So how right. can you nourish the relationships that you're in that you, you see, I mean, it seems to me like with, again, back to like our modern conveniences and all of the tools of comfort that we have in our life, um, every human almost and the natural world around us becomes an obstacle to getting to like the place we want to be or, yep. you know, and so, you know, work is that way too. Like you're, we, we, we tend to maybe overwork or not see work as something that we want to be doing. So the people we work with are obstacles to getting home to Netflix or I don't know mm. what we, I don't know what yeah, people do at night, but like, I don't know that I don't, maybe Netflix is like so cliche. Maybe people are getting out and trying to do things and interact, but like we, that doesn't take away. Like we drive. I mean, I've been seeing some, some weird phenomenon lately. Like I'll walk and I see people in the city. So I'm in Tampa. I see people parked on the side of the street with their cars idling because it's hot out with the air conditioning running and they're, they're sleeping. They're like taking a nap in the middle of the day. Hmm. And I don't know why that brings to mind. Just like we, we are so isolated, you know, like though these I've seen more than literally in a pod, by they're themselves. in a pod by themselves sleeping in public because maybe they haven't created the opportunity to go home. But I, I see my, I see this as like maybe people who are working on their lunch break, 
And that can't be fun, you know, but so then you see like the people you work with as like, you know, your coworkers, but obstacles to getting to where you want to be. We, we, we've become obstacles to each other. You, yeah. you drive in a pod, a 2000 pound pod, and every other person on the road becomes an obstacle to where you we need or want to be, you know? Um, well, I think even like, I think of the past two years in Canada and this idea that we've been, um, the, the majority of people have been programmed to think that other people are threats, right? Like social distancing is the craziest term ever. Like it, it's pretty sad to really like take a step back and, and away from the hysteria of everything and be like, wow, we just systematically disassembled health by disrupting all relationships between humans. Yeah. under the guise of it's what we need to do to be healthy right. by the people who understand health, none at all. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just really, it's like, I mean, it's a big opportunity though, right? Like instead of getting into doom and gloom mode, it's like, well, we have a lot of healing to do. We have a lot yeah. of relationship rebuilding and re-nourishing to do. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we do that? How do we get, how do we get to work basically and yeah, enjoy yeah. the, and not just work, but like, how do we enjoy the process of rekindling relationships and trust with one another? Yeah. Um, and I think a big part of what we can do at the foot collective in future is create opportunities for connection. That's really like, we're not going to make two people have a great relationship. We can't force that, but what we can do is create a container, an environment, an occasion that's very conducive to having people um, feel that it's a safe environment to play with another human, physical play where they're actually touching each other um, or where they're having to do something risky, right? They're not afraid of, am I going to look silly by doing this? You know, like really creating an atmosphere of comfort um, and safety where people can go outside, you know, they can kind of come outside their shell, right? It's like the hermit crabs where they never want to get out of their shells and they go into this place and it's like, there's no predators here. You can all be without a shell. No one's going to eat you. (laughs) So it's okay. You can put your shell back on when you leave if you want. Hopefully this makes you more comfortable being without a shell more frequently, but I think that's what we need. And I think that's kind of what we've lost. And this is what ties into the whole concept of a community center is really just a place to facilitate connection where people know if I go there, it's going to be other people who also want to go and connect with people. And I think that's kind of what we need, right? Like we don't even, even like shopping, right? You used to have to go into a store, speak to another human, potentially brush by other humans. Now you don't have to do that. You literally just have to have one relationship with your computer. Your computer brings you all these things. And we've, you know, it'd be one thing if we did that and it allowed us to spend more time on other relationships, but I think the asymmetry of, of technology, how it just grabs us so easily, uh, is taking away, you know, the sense of not having enough time. It's like, I don't think people actually tune into where they spend their time and attention because if they did, they'd probably see, I spent a lot of time with technology. Yeah. And I was your, your idea about the community center, you know, I think the community center is the idea of the new town square. Hmm. So one of the, we lived in France for two years and I loved and the, the rhythm of the city was people kind of live by tradition there. So you'd go out into the square. Every city has multiple squares where there's people outdoors, there's music, there's food, you know, there's people just walking back and forth, doing things, shopping and the community. And there's all different ages, children, old people, you know, so it seems like the community center is almost like the 
could be the new town square where you combine all the different ages, all the different people, all the different socioeconomic factors. There's opportunities there to interact. And I love the idea of the community center, Nick. Yes, me too. Well, we've been talking for an hour. So that well, goes so much by for quick. the 40 minute stuff experiments. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, we had all these more like nuts and bolts, you know, how do you define healthy versus unhealthy relationship? Um, all these kind of things to talk about. But I think, I think what we the conversation we just had is actually way better, because it was really just us sharing our perspective and almost thinking out loud of how we think of relationship. And I'm gonna listen to this one again, because I during this conversation, my way of thinking of relationship and how that fits into like the way I think about the world changed a lot. Um, so is there anything you want to say before we close this one out? Maybe, you know, I guess an, a suggestion for an experiment for me is go out and try and create more opportunities to build broader relationships and maybe pick one relationship you already have and inject more energy into it to go a little bit deeper, which often yeah. is scary, right? Like intimacy, intimacy is scary. And, you know, like we used to do this exercise you and I together, where it's like, if you really knew me, you'd know that. And it was something that very few people would know because it's something that is scarier to share, right? That is, leaves you open to judgment. Um, and so I think we, I think it's like a reciprocal thing, right? Like a, the way you build an intimate relationship in terms of my understanding is like, you become, you, you put out some good faith into being a bit more vulnerable, hoping that the other person won't judge you or attack you. And the other person recognizes that and says, okay, it's safer to go a little bit. It's safer to take more risk, right? They took a risk. I'm going to take a risk. And that reciprocity of taking more risks, of feeling safer, of not feeling judged, allows you to go pretty deep. And mm -hmm. I think when you actually have someone that you can explore yourself and help them explore themselves at a really deep level, yeah, um, there's something very powerful about that. But I think we have less and less of it these days, once again, because it's almost like, when I text someone or hear about someone's life over text, it removes the reason for me to go talk to them in person. Mm -hmm. And we, and it's easy, it's easy to think that that text message or that sequence of text or that quick five minute call gives me the nutrients that I would have gotten by spending a half an hour with that person. But I don't think that's actually true. I think that's the, I think technological hyperconnection is the junk food of relationship nutrients. So I'm trying mm -hmm. to take my own advice and be, you know, it's funny how once you just get rid of the tech, and when you stop messaging, I've noticed this in my life. I think I heard Rangan Chatterjee talk about it. Once you stop connecting with people digitally, you automatically develop a hunger and a desire to connect with people in real life. It's like not even like you have to force it. It's just if I, if I stop the tech connection, if I do email less and text less and all that kind of stuff, I automatically just crave connection. And if I don't have the tech on me, I'm going to do it in person. And so I think maybe that's a good experiment. It's just like, remove the technological connection and communicate to people you connect with technologically that how about we meet up in person today instead of calling or instead yeah. of doing a text message. Yeah. That's I, I, I second the experiment about going out into the world without your, without anything to listen to or anything to look at technology wise, leave it at home. Mm -hmm. So that go and go to a public place. Um, and just be there, you know, grab a coffee or a tea or something and just be in the place of public spaces. If you have that, open. Uh, 
yeah, if you have that around you. And then the other experiment I had was taking a, a relationship inventory, you know, like in your health log, write down like how, who, how, who are the people that you interact with on a regular basis? Like you, you, you kind of went through, like, there's maybe a couple of people that you are intimate with, um, your, your relationship, take, take an inventory of the quality and the quantity of your relationships and how much time you spend where, and then I can't, I guess I can't, my most important lesson in all of this is actually like doing activities. So maybe think about something that makes you uncomfortable that you wanted to always do. Maybe you think that dialogue in your head with yourself is like, I'm not creative. I'm a crappy. I'll never be, be able to paint anything in my life. I'm crappy. I'm People not won't creative. like me. And go enroll yourself in a paint class yeah. and be with, do something that you do something you've never tried before that you want to do, but go there and be with other people physically and do that thing or start your own meetup. Like let's say you want to play on your rollerblades or something, put a Facebook page together, encourage people to meet you and go do something together, like do something because that's the most natural way that natural learning. We are natural learners. We have, we innately learn if we put our give us ourselves the right inputs and i'm i'm fiercely um advocating for doing things with your body with your hands sing play an instrument do something take your balance beam to the park and invite other people to join you you know do something and and maybe that you've never tried before and then take notes on how you felt discomfort or how you felt elated or what your strengths and your weaknesses were in that interaction Great experiment. I just thought of something. I just want to mention it. One of the most intense um, experiences I've had was at a, a conference I went to and they did an eye gazing um, session. Dude, the worst. <laughs> that is so intense. And it, it, it's like, and that stuck with me. I was like, why was that so intense? And all I did was sit in front of another man for five minutes and we stared in each other's eyes nothing was said and i learned more in that five minutes about myself and it's it's a very interesting if you're really brave you want to try it try it someone you have an intimate relationship with and see like without laughing without saying any words because oh, yeah. we put words in there to fill the awkwardness yeah and and it like it's it's very very interesting and nothing yeah. was said right like no words were exchanged nothing was done all we did was look at each other and I got a whole lot of communication from myself and I felt like from the other person. So things like oh that, try, gosh. try things that, that was and good. like at the time it was really uncomfortable, but afterwards it was like, I felt really good after I was like, yeah. I need, I needed that. Talk um, about into me. See, literally. Yeah. I was, well, that's what first went Intimacy. through my head. I'm like, this guy can see in my soul right now. I wonder what, it, <laughs> I wonder what he's I'd be like, <laughs> Yeah. And even my, eye contact, like I noticed, so I've started to wear sun, I wear sunglasses only in the afternoon if it's really sunny, I, but I've tried to not wear them because number one, it, it is, it is the headphones of the eyes. Yes. When you have sunglasses on, you are basically unavailable. You're disguised. Um, it's a mask. Disguised, and you're blocking. Yeah. It's like, that's a block to other people engaging with you. Yeah. Um, and even just going out on a walk and every person you see making direct eye contact and sm not like laser beams where you're just staring at them, but like, like make creeper. eye contact, nod, say hi. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, one thing I've noticed is very few people are comfortable making eye contact. Yeah. Um, so good experiment to try. It's like, yeah. see how many, count how many people are comfortable making eye contact without instantly shifting away. Or even, so most people don't even look at, uh, look at you, which I find very interesting. Yeah. Um, Nick, I've been, I've been in my marriage, I've been in my partnership with Matthew for 18 years. We've been married for 14. I tried that eye gazing. That so shit is hard. I was like, oh my God, he's going to know I ate his chocolate. Oh my God. <laughs> There's chocolate on your plate. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Anyway, nerds, uh, we, we hope, you know, this is a different le- lesson style. We had a whole framework set up and then we just like didn't look at it. Um, but we need your feedback to let us know if this, if you liked this format, if you prefer the, the more, um, sequenced, um, organized format. So please let us know on Slack. Uh, we don't know. It's like same thing. It's like, we don't know how to get better if no one tells us or tells us what they like. We have these conversations all the time. We just happen to record some of them. That's kind of how I think of it. Um, so thank you for being here. Thank you for taking responsibility for your health and being part of this badass global community of foot nerds. Uh, I think, you know, the hope is that we find more opportunities in future to connect in person with other nerds. And I think that just requires energy. Um, you know, the past couple of years, I don't know if many people had spare energy, um, but hopefully that changes and we have more of a surplus. And maybe if more of us take an interest in wanting to put out the effort and can actually travel to meet up with each other, I think, um, you know, anytime I've met up with nerds before, you know, BC before COVID at seminars and workshops, it's always been an amazing experience. Mm. Go out for a meal, whatever it might be. So um, looking forward to more of that. And uh, thanks for being here and we'll catch yep. you in the next conversation. Ciao for now, nerds. Love ya.